Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carrying it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this catch. It's intercepted by Mosley. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. Welcome to part two of the Weekend Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang. Over. At JetsInsider.com, and of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So, let's jump right back into the mailbag with John B. And John B. asks, how has Jordan Jenkins looked? Haven't heard much about him in training camp. So, Chris, this is obviously a question for you. Yeah, he's looked good. Uh, His most impressive uh, was in the one-on-one drills that I watched. Uh, I talked about this on the pod, where he he just absolutely... uh, uh, pushed Calixio Semele back, and I I was taken aback by that. Just watching his power, um, just hit him right in the chest and knocked him back. But he's looked really good during team drills as well. Uh, he he said he has worked a lot with Chuck Smith to improve as a pass rusher, and you can see it. Uh, you can see he's got a little bit more variety to his moves. He has gotten stronger. It appears uh, he's talked about how he's uh, leaned out. Lost less fat or less fat and more muscle, and you can see it. It's noticeable. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be. You know, he's obviously never going to be a Von Miller type or anywhere close to that. I think he's he's still more of a Calvin uh, Pace type of player who's really great at setting the edge and will be able to sneak through for sacks here and there. But he has improved his pass rushing at least. A little bit, and uh, that's it'll be exciting to watch him during preseason, get to see him go up against another team and full pads and everything, and get to see how much those pass rushes uh, moves have improved. Next question comes in from Benito Santiello. He says, "Any oh. interest? What's up? Sorry, no, I I thought you were going to say Benito Santiago there. Yeah, uh, you know what? Let, let's." Let's do that as a joke, actually. Hang on. That is good. I should have thought it. Next question comes in from Benito Santanilo. Benito Santiago, huh? Catcher interested in the Jets. Nice, nice. I like it. Maybe Santiago can come in here and give some tips to Luke Falk and Davis Webb on how to throw the ball because he had a pretty good cannon behind the plate throwing runners out. But he asks, any interest in signing cornerback David Amerson? Not really. Yeah, no, I don't see it there. Um... Uh, yeah, I don't. I just don't see it. 
Next question comes in from John McAnally. He says, did you notice Khalil didn't mention Cam Newton as a player he reached out to prior to coming out of retirement? Is there anything to that? Was there friction there? I spoke to Tony Dunn of the C3 Panthers podcast, and if you didn't have a chance to listen, you should go into our archives and check it out. He talked all about what Jet fans should expect from Ryan Khalil, both on and off the field, what he's like as a person, what he brought to the table the last couple of years, which is really the relevant information because who really cares at this point what Khalil did at his absolute peak? That peak is gone. You want to know what he did the last year or two. That'll give you a clearer picture of what you should expect. And he seemed to indicate that Khalil took a big role in helping to bring Cam Newton along and mentor him as a young quarterback. So I don't know if there was a rift there. I wouldn't read that much into it, but who knows? Maybe there's something that only people on the very inside know about. I honestly couldn't give you anything beyond that, unfortunately. And the next question is, when is Chris Herndon's appeal? I'm not sure. So, Chris, I'll give you that one and also the question about Cam Newton and Ryan Khalil. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about their uh, personal relationship with Khalil and Cam, but he was the center for a long time. Uh, we hadn't heard anything about any rifts there, and I don't think, uh, from what I do know about Khalil, I don't. He doesn't strike me as someone that is going to be uh, petty or do anything along those lines. He's just going to help his teammate out. Uh, but uh, also, I don't see why uh, a need to read into this at all. Why? Why does he need to talk about Cam Newton when he's come to come out of retirement to go play for another team? The Panthers signed another center. Uh, they signed Paradis to, to come in. He knew he wasn't going back to the Panthers, so I don't know why he needed to do uh, to call Cam and do that, uh, or talk to Cam, or mention Cam. That that seems uh, a little bit of a stretch. Uh, as far as Herndon, I don't know when the appeal is, but uh, he's not going to win it. Uh, it the the extra suspension was because the DUI caused bodily harm. And he did cause bodily harm. So there's there's no way he's winning that appeal. So I haven't really been paying attention or trying to get a, dates to that. I'd be shocked if he won the appeal. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. 
Next question comes in from Craven Moorhead. Okay, I did laugh a little bit on the inside. There's a part of me that's still a 12-year-old boy. He says, do you think this draft class has the potential to be max best? Yeah, absolutely. It's not exactly a high bar, let's be honest, but I definitely think that's a possibility. First of all, Quinnen Williams, we all know that I think that he's going to be a tremendous player. I think he has the potential to be one of the best players in the league. From there, Ja'Kai Polite has a chance to be a really good pass rusher. I don't know that he's going to be a leader or anything, but even if he can give you 8-10 to 10 sacks a season, that's a win for somebody to get in the third round. Adolga has a chance to develop into a starting tackle. Blake Cashman is already exceeding expectations. And if Wesco can at least be a useful piece as a blocking tight end, this could, ironically enough, end up being Mike McCagnin's best draft class by a fair amount. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll continue and expand on it, but all you have to do is go through the archives of this podcast to when McCagnin got fired. I I was on here talking about how it was ironic that he probably had his his did his best job, had the best draft class that he had so far, and uh and he, and I said that then without thinking that I was going to see a training camp like this from Blake Cashman. So even more so, this absolutely has the chance to be that. Um, you know, obviously Darnold last year and the quarterback's the most important thing, but this has the the definite chance to be his most well-rounded and had the most hits in it. I said it at the time he got fired right after the draft, and I'm sticking with it even more so now after seeing what Blake Cashman's done. Next question comes from David O'Rourke. He says, do you think Joe Douglas still wants to strengthen the offensive line? If yes, what do you think the chances are that he goes after Trent Williams? So, yeah, I definitely think he still wants to strengthen the offensive line, but I think it's mostly going to be depth stuff like Alex Lewis and something like that if somebody shakes loose. I think that the five guys that are penciled in as starters are probably the guys that are going to be the starters to start the season. I don't expect them to go after Trent Williams. I'm sure that they'll at least look into it, but I think the price is going to be prohibitive. I don't see Joe Douglas wanting to give up a high draft pick for a 31-year-old tackle, even if Trent Williams is really, really good. I think that Douglas really has his eye on the future. I know that he's made a couple of quote-unquote win-now moves recently, but those didn't involve giving away valuable future draft assets. Alex Lewis was had for a conditional late-round pick, and they were able to get Khalil out of retirement without giving up a draft pick. So as far as Trent Williams goes, I don't think they're going to do anything other than make the obligatory call and see what the price is going to be. So I expect that the five guys that are on the offensive line, pencil in as starters now, will be the starters opening day. And I think that any moves that are made on the offensive line more likely are going to be of the depth variety. Yeah, and I don't even think it's a question of uh, would Joe Douglas trade for Trent Williams. Uh, I've, I've, I have done some digging uh the, over the last couple of weeks just to check in and see about Trent Williams. And everything that I've heard is Dan Snyder ain't trading Trent Williams. It's that simple. They Trent Williams is saying, I won't play for them unless they get a new training staff because it's not about the money for him. He said it's about the training staff and he's far from the first person to complain about it. They also have that terrible field. They had the terrible training camp practice field that we I saw last year uh Daniel Snyder it this is how he operates and he he's cheap on a lot of these things and he's going to send a message 
as Trenton uh, Williams is sending a message. So I don't think that you really can put together a package. It would have to be something that absolutely blew him away. It's not just, okay, okay we're going to get what we can from Daniel Snyder is definitely that petty person that'll say, go ahead, hold out, don't play at all. You're going to still remain under contract with us and you're not going to get a cent of this money and you're not going to be able to go sign anywhere else either. So go retire then. That That is exactly what Daniel Snyder would do. And I think that's how this will actually end up playing out because I he's not going to budge. He, he is the very definition of someone willing to cut their nose to spite their face. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Next question comes in from G Tucker 1115. He says, Do you think Gase will use the no huddle offense because of the up tempo players that he has? Such speedy players like Jameson Crowder and Robbie Anderson. I wouldn't be totally shocked. I think that Gase will be prepared with game plans and be ready to do some things. But I do think that if he sees an opportunity to exploit a weakness on the other side, like if he thinks that a no huddle can help him a little bit, I think he'll use it from time to time. Yeah, I could see him picking his spots with it. Uh, you will see more of an up-tempo but I, uh, just in general with him. But I don't think that I'd go as far as say that you know he's not going to turn into Chip Kelly and do what he was trying to do with the Eagles he's not going to go that far pick his spots and moments obviously at the end of halves uh, but then also I could see him picking random spots here and there to do it but I I think it'll just be more of a quicker pace uh, but not quite uh, no huddle Uh, but I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised at all to see him pick his spots and break it out every once in a while especially if the offense is kind of struggling a little bit. Um, and that's, you know, I used to uh, and go off on Schottenheimer when Sanchez was quarterback here because remember Sanchez would play so much better whenever they went into no huddle. I was like, we'll just do that more. And uh, he would refuse to do that. I don't think that Gase would refuse to do that if he felt that it could give the, the offense a little bit of a kick. Next question comes in from AJ Tranzano. He says, any chance Alex Lewis, if healthy, pushes Winters, or will he just be depth? They definitely needed him either way. From what I read, I like it, but his injury history scares me. I would be very surprised if he's anything more than depth. And they needed him, like you said. They needed solid depth, so it was a good move. But no, I don't think that he's going to push Brian Winters for the starting job. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, You know, now... Winters has his injury history, so maybe he could end up getting hurt and he could fill in. But Winters is going to be that starting guard. That's I can't see him, especially you know if he had signed before camp and then maybe we've got to see more. Uh, I would think Winters would have to really struggle in the preseason uh, for for that to happen. AJ also asks, in practice, is Gase using a headset like McVeigh does with Goff? 
Go to the line of scrimmage, look at the defense, and call the play at 15 seconds. Chris, this is obviously a question for you. you no, know, he. I haven't. I haven't noticed that at least. Uh, I haven't seen him doing that at all. So you know, normally during practice, I'm. I'm. My eyes are more on the field, but I'm. I haven't seen him with a, a headset or anything like that. So no, I, he's not going that far in it. Next question is from Gus Toon again. He says, I have reservations Khalil will be able to outplay Harrison in the run-up to game one. Is it a lot to ask of a 34-year-old and to maintain staying injury-free? I understand because Khalil is coming into a completely new offense and he's coming in right at the beginning of the preseason. So it's not impossible that it could take him a little while to catch on. But I will also say that rumor has it that there have been talks going on for quite a while before the deal actually got hammered out. So Khalil probably started to make himself familiar with what they were going to try to do so that if he did make the decision to come out of retirement, he wasn't going to be completely blindsided. Plus, he's been a pro and a high-level pro for a really long time, so I think he'll be fine. I suspect that he wins the job. I think he was brought in here for that, but I did say this before and I'll say it again. If this lights a fire under Harrison and Harrison outplays Khalil, Harrison will be the starter. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but it's not completely out of the question. Yeah. All you got to do is look at the contract that they gave him. They gave him that contract, which if he gets all that money, that's starter money. Uh, they didn't give him that option to not to just to come in here and expect him to be the backup. But on the flip side of that is you look into all the incentives built into that and they let themselves wiggle room in case he's not good enough or he can't beat out Jonathan Harrison. Then he can either be a backup or just go back into retirement and they won't have to pay that much more. So their plan, their goal is definitely for Ryan Khalil to be the starter, but he's he is still going to have to earn it if – they're not just going to stick with him no matter how bad he looks. Uh, he's definitely going to have to show that he is an upgrade over Jonathan Harrison. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, gentlemen, do you think it would be smart for the Jets to give Robbie Anderson an extension now rather than waiting? Got to figure the price is only going to go up. I think Anderson's going to have a really nice year, and I do expect the price to go up. That's why if I were you, I would consider drafting him onto your fantasy team if you're playing fantasy football this year, and if you are somebody playing fantasy football, you want to get in on what's going on over on the Draft app, over at Draft.com, where you have a chance to win $3.5 million in their best ball championship. Sounds pretty good, right? Who doesn't want to win $3.5 million? It's easy, too. All you've got to do is go over to the Draft app or Draft.com, sign up. You do an easy snake draft. You don't have to worry about auctions or salary caps or any of that stuff. And you don't have to spend any time during the week managing your roster. That all gets done for you. You set your lineup at the beginning of the season and you forget about it. They'll make sure that your best players are active every single week. And as an added bonus, if you go to the Draft app or sign up at Draft.com, you can get a free entry into the Best Ball Championship and a crack at that $3.5 million if you use our promo code. Play like that's right. Free shot at the three point five million dollars when you use the promo code play like and make your first deposit on the draft app at draft.com. Just search draft in the app store, go to draft.com, use the promo code play like and you can get yourself a free crack at that three point five million dollars today. 
And if you do pick Robbie Anderson, like I said, I think he's going to have a big year. So I do think that it's in the Jets' best interest to strongly consider giving Robbie Anderson a contract extension now before he plays well and the price goes up, especially if he's willing to sign a team-friendly deal. Chris, I don't know anything about whether or not there's been any kind of talks about that, so I'll throw that to you. That's where your sources would come in on this. I think it would probably be a prudent move, and I have to imagine that Joe Douglas, at the very least, is aware of the fact that it's something he should look into. Yeah, I checked in uh, with a couple of people around the starter training camp, and they said that there hasn't been anything anything noteworthy uh, as far as talks back and forth there, of course. Douglas was still getting settled here and everything. So that's understandable. I would absolutely do it. I I talk about this all the time. Teams love to wait and wait and wait until they have to pay a player, but then you end up paying people uh, more money than you could have if you paid them earlier. I'm comfortable with paying Robbie Anderson if it's me and I'm going to pay him now before this season, before the second year of Darnold, because I think the price tag is going up this season. So I don't know what Robbie would, you know, what him and his agent would take, like what their number is uh, right now, but I think that that number is going to be higher at the end of the season, and I feel confident enough in that reality that I'm going to go ahead and try to get that deal done now. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, I asked two months ago, but I have to bring it up again. Any word about joint practices with the Eagles next year? Think it would be great for both teams. Also, do you think Douglas will claim former Eagles players that they waived this year if they were late round picks last year since Douglas was pretty much the one who was in charge of drafting them? I haven't heard anything about the joint practices. Chris, maybe you have, so I'll throw that to you in a second. As far as possibly claiming late-round picks from last year that the Eagles drafted and may waive, I think it's possible. If there's a guy that Douglas likes, I don't see why not. Yeah, I'll start with the second question first. It's definitely possible. It depends on the player, though, because he might uh, get some seen the player and then they end up getting released, and he's like, yeah, what I saw from him – and Philly, it's not worth bringing him in. But if he does like the player, of course he's going to go after him. Um, he's he's going to go after any player he likes, whether it was with Philly or anybody else. So, you know, how many players did he scout that another team drafted that he's probably got written on a board somewhere just waiting for a team to cut? And, uh, you know, obviously he got a closer look at some of the guys in Philly, so then he could know if the guys that he liked in the draft if he was proven right and he still believes in them or if he was proven wrong and doesn't believe in them anymore. Um, as far as joint practices go, I haven't uh, checked into anything about that soon. Cause again, I obviously it wasn't going to happen this year. Um, and then not even to deal with Douglas, just Adam Gase wasn't going to do that. First year coaches don't want to do that. They want to keep everything in house. They want to stay. They don't want the distraction of other team and they want to get into a rhythm of running their offense and getting everything, everyone used to their ways and not having to kind of work together with another team. But it makes all the sense in the world for the Jets and the Eagles to do that, not just because of Joe Douglas to take him out of the equation. It just makes all the sense in the world because. They're obviously outside of the Giants. Philly's the closest team, so that could be a real easy meetup point for them. 
and then obviously the NFC team versus AFC team. So that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I don't know Joe Douglas's feelings on it and Adam Gase's feelings on it. That's something that I'll look into maybe towards the end of the season and the off season leading up to you know, you know drafted free agency. That's that's when I'll, I'll start looking into that more um, because that's not something that they're they're not thinking about that right now. They're they're too in the moment right now and their long term future moves. Uh, there's so many logistics that they have to work out that no one's going to give it an answer on anything like that at this point. It, it'll be, you know, late in the season and after the season that they'll they'll start really thinking about stuff like that. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Next question comes in from Michael Sin. He says... For the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, since you've covered this team, does any player come even close to being as entertaining during interviews as Quinn and Williams? The two closest, uh, I'll give the, the, well, it would be the bronze medal here, uh, would, would be Mangold. Mangold was great, but the thing that made Mangold great was that he would never give us what we wanted. Uh, Mangold knew who... Uh, he learned what the reporters are. He learned everything about us, our job and our reporters. He knew what we wanted from him. And at first, when I first started covering him, he would give us those quotes. And then he kind of got bored with it. And he was just like, all right, I know what you want, but I'm just going to go completely off topic and talk about some completely random, bat crazy type stuff. And, and that was very entertaining. Uh, the other one is Sheldon Richardson, but Sheldon Richardson rookie year, uh, Sheldon Richardson's rookie year was just a notch below Quinn and Williams. And really the difference is just uh, like Jamal said, that he looks like a baby, his voice, he still has the braces on. And that's really what gives Quinn the little bit of the edge. But otherwise rookie year Sheldon was very, very similar. Just a big kid, just trying to have fun all the time, lighthearted and just awesome. Uh, it, that was very, very close. Uh, Quinnen again, a little bit more just because he's got that baby face and the braces that, with that Southern draw. But Sheldon was really, really close. I had so much fun covering him his rookie year. Next question comes in from Kevin Spillane. He says, I want Klecko in the Hall of Fame, but why is there no support for Winston Hill? Six-time All-AFL All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowl All-Star, member of the all-time AFL second team, only ran to his side of the ball when the Jets scored their only Super Bowl touchdown. Guys, it's okay to walk and chew gum at the same time. We can fight for Klecko and Winston Hill simultaneously. So here's the easy answer to why there isn't as much support for Hill as there is for Klecko. Number one, because Hill played offensive line, so it's a lot harder to see what a guy does with Klecko. You could obviously watch him terrorizing quarterbacks. That's right there for anybody to be able to watch and figure out. 
Also, Winston Hill unfortunately passed away, so he's not here to advocate for himself. And I don't think that people around him are as strong as advocating for him as the groundswell around Joe Klecko has been. Joe Klecko is still very visible around the Jets, so that's part of it. And also, I think that Joe Klecko just played more recently, so more people remember him than remember Winston Hill. All of that said, you are 100% right. You would get no argument from me as far as Winston Hill goes. The guy was absolutely dominant, just destroyed defensive linemen. And you can go back and talk to guys that played against Winston Hill. They'll all tell you about it. And the results are what they are. His accolades are incredible, as you pointed out. He dominated in the Super Bowl. And when I had John Schmidt on the show to talk about the 1968 season, he mentioned how strong Winston Hill was and how he was lucky to be playing next to him because he made his job so much easier. If you go back and watch tape, it's very evident what Winston Hill was able to do to opposing defenders. He just manhandled them. I think he's the best offensive tackle the Jets have ever had. By a comfortable margin. I love Marvin Powell, and I think he would come in second. DeBrickashaw is probably third. But you got no argument for me on this one, Kevin. For sure, I think Winston Hill has a very strong case to be in the Hall of Fame. I think if he doesn't end up getting serious consideration from the voters, it's only going to be because there aren't people out there campaigning for him because he played a position that's harder to evaluate and because he played a lot longer ago than Klecko, and so people don't remember him as much. Those are the reasons why, I think. But you're going to get no argument from me on the dominance of Winston Hill. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add here, though, because obviously uh, he was before my time. I never watched him play. You know, I've seen highlights and stuff. I know of him, and I know how dominant he was, I've heard. But I, I actually saw Klecko play uh you know more of when I was aware of it was towards the tail end of his career but it was enough that I had I'd heard stories and I knew about him so that makes a lot more sense plus what you said is absolutely correct about offensive linemen offensive linemen tend to get lost in the shuffle and if he's gone this long without it I think people just kind of it it, the people that are going to really fight for him aren't the people that are, you know, in charge of, of it right now, right? So they're not going to be active on it. And, yeah, it's just to go back that far at this point, I just – I don't know. And that's not to say he's he's not deserving of it because as he just uh, rattled off all his accolades. But also another thing in, in this, I've said this a couple numerous times, the Hall of Fame thing, like it's, it's great and awesome. Obviously, I'm not trying to – to diminish it or poo-poo it, but I, it's not something that I pay very much close attention to. I'm, I, I like the games. I like some stories here and there, but that, that's about where it stops for me. I, I didn't watch a single second of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony this weekend, and Ed Reed is probably my second favorite player ever. It, it may be the first. So the Hall of Fame is just not something that I really pay any attention to. Your first favorite player is David Clowney, right? Yes. Uh, how could it not? <laughs> the king of August. It's everyone's favorite player, right? It's yeah. everyone's favorite. How do you not love the man who dominated training camp so many years in a row? Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Next question comes in from Jets Joe 73 He says, going to the opening game of the season, first time ever in New York, we'll be there for a week. What should I do? Wow, there are so many ways I can answer this question. This begs a bunch of follow-ups, too. 
Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. A lot of this depends on what you like. The first thing I'll say, Joe, is absolutely you've got to go to at least one, probably two or three pizza places. I will recommend for you some of my favorites. It really depends on exactly where you're staying. They're all going to be in New York. All due respect to Jersey. There's some decent pizza in Jersey, but all the best stuff is in New York. So (laughs) go ahead and... I don't know what you're laughing at. That's a stone cold fact, Chris. Ball face lie you just told, but go off. I mean, this is just science, but whatever you want to think, Chris. So, Joe, if you want to DM me, I'll suggest some pizza places to you. Beyond that, I guess it really depends on what you like to do. If you want to go to a Broadway show, that's something that could be fun. There are a ton of comedy clubs in Manhattan. There are obviously historical landmarks to go to. The Statue of Liberty would be one example. You could go somewhere like the Bronx Zoo. You could go to some of the great diners that Chris and I joke about with Quinn and Williams. We say that what's he doing at IHOP when he could go to the diners here in New York. There's a ton of stuff. So I guess my easiest answer to this would be send me a DM and tell me what you like to do. And then I'll have a better idea of what to recommend. Yeah. Like I said, this begs a bunch of follow-up questions like where are you going to be staying? Uh, You know, what do you like to do? What type of food do you like? Because the first answer... I'm just gonna say, give you is eat whatever whatever type of food you like. You're going to be able to find in New York City, and it's going to be pretty good. Uh, you know, obviously New York City is not known for its barbecue, but you can find pretty good barbecue in New York City. Uh, you can any type of food you want, you can find in New York City, and you can definitely get some good pizza in New York City. Uh, but to to dismiss New Jersey pizza, New Jersey pizza. Is, is actually con- consistently better, I found, than New York. Oh, pizza. stop, right Chris. There. Just come on. Stop it. it. Stop it. It is. I'm Please. sorry. It's just a fact. Please. It's, just, it's not debatable. It's, this it's is not. ridiculous. What are you going to tell me next, that Trevor Simeon is better than Sam Darnold? Come on. No, I'm telling you that, that uh, Tom Brady is better than Trevor Simeon. That's what I'm telling you. It's, this is a fact, but I, I digress. Chris, if um, this was a tweet, you would get ratioed so hard for this. I'm no, just letting you know. No, I wouldn't. It, it would be bad. the ratio Hall of Fame. There That's how bad the ratio no, would be. New Jersey is right there. Oh. And consistently, I have had more uh, uh, subpar slices in New York City than I have in New Jersey. And you clearly don't know where to go for good pizza in New York. No, no that's I do know where to go for uh, good pizza. But I have also just gone into uh, random pizzerias expecting to get good pizza because it's New York City. I can get it anywhere and been disappointed a, a, a handful of times. But there's plenty. Bronx Zoo is a great thing. I, I love the Bronx Zoo. You know, if uh, you're a baseball fan, you can go check out either Yankees or Mets. Uh, comedy shows is something I would recommend for sure. Uh, like you said, if you like Broadway shows, that's good. Off Broadway, all types of shows, but comedy shows, you can go someplace like the, the to the cellar, and you can see. You, you could go there on a random night, and you might see some super famous, uh, uh, high profile uh, comedian just pop in, just trying to work on his uh, sets, work through sets for their next big comedy special. You can also look. There's they always have bringing uh, guys who are doing full sets there. So you can get pop-ups from random comedians. That's a great thing. Uh, you can go shopping. It all depends, man. You you can feel free to hit us up and answer some of these follow-up questions, and we'll give 
few more details there. But basically, in New York City, the answer is whatever you want to do. There's an option. If you want to go to bars and clubs, you can find good bars and clubs there. Um, It's not hasn't been my scene for a while. But uh, whatever you want to do, you can do in New York City. I should also add, again, depending on how easy it's going to be for you to get places, you could also go to the Jersey Shore or to the beaches on Long Island. There's some great beaches around. And also, I don't know exactly when you're getting in, but depending on the timing, Chris mentioned Mets and Yankees. If they're home, you could do that. But also, the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament is here right around that time. The finals happen right around week one. So if you get in a couple days before the week one matchup with the Jets and Bills, you might be able to go out to Flushing to catch the U.S. Open. It's right next to where the Mets play, actually. So you could even be lucky enough, if the timing works out, you go to the U.S. Open during the day and then go see the Mets at night or vice versa because they have day and night sessions at the U.S. Open. So a lot of stuff you can do. And like Chris said, go ahead and do DM us with some of the follow-up answers here because it's a lot easier to give you advice once we know more. Chris, despite your absolutely terrible pizza take, and I promise you, if you put that up on Twitter, it will get ratioed really badly. And if I have to, I will create burner accounts to ratio it myself because it's such a ludicrous opinion. No, it's not. Oh, Chris, you're killing me. Absolutely killing me. You're not you're not a, a, from Jersey enough to to know this, man. You have you haven't spent enough time around good pizza spots in Jersey. I need to introduce you to the pizza spots in Jersey because I'm telling you, man. It's first off, North Jersey is like 95 percent Italian. I don't see why you think there's a difference between New York City and North North Jersey. It's the water that makes this the New York City and North Jersey pizza so much better than the rest of the country. It works just as well for New York City and northern New Jersey. I promise you. You heard it here first. Chris Nimbley doesn't believe in science. So there you go. Just so you know, Chris Nimbley does not believe in science. It's a scientific fact that New York has better pizza than New Jersey. But, Joe, if you come to New York, you can try both and you can make the determination. By the way, this is not me saying that New Jersey pizza is bad. It's actually pretty good compared to the rest of the country. But it's not New York pizza. Chris, you are a very big deal. I love you, buddy. But this is one area where we're going to have a very, very strong disagreement. And that's fine. That's what makes the world go round. You're allowed to be wrong. (laughs) I was going to say the same thing to you, actually. Chris, thanks so much for joining me from your vacation at Tahoe. Can't wait to hear all about it when you get back. Better send me some pictures, buddy. I'm looking forward to seeing what you were doing out there. I'm pretty jealous, to be honest with you. But I've been holding down the fort here. Somebody's got to. Looking forward to when you come back, though. You'll be back at training camp. We'll plan of those reports in the meantime alan schechter's got some stuff up he's holding down the fort over at jetsinsider.com so what can people expect to see when they go over to the website yeah i can see expect to see uh, alan will have some uh you know recaps of practice of what everybody else saw some stories up there uh i'll have some more um just random articles about players that i'm going to be posting up there probably going to post like you know a good like 16,000 word article about why New Jersey pizza is every bit as good as New York City pizza as an indisputable fact as well um so yeah a bunch of good stuff up there for you guys go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at C Nimbly and at Jets Insider follow Alan Schechter at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R 
Read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.